Welcome to Career Practitioner Conversations. This podcast is presented by the National Career Development Association. This episode is hosted by Brian Hutchison, the Global Career Guy and core faculty member at Walden University. It features a conversation about climate change and careers with Trevor Lehman. Trevor is a career consultant at the University of Manitoba and president of the Climate Informed Counselors Chapter of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. Well, it's a real pleasure for me to be here with my friend and colleague, Trevor Lehman, um, the, the person who's taught me more than anyone else about climate change and how that sort of comes about in the career counseling space and the career coaching space. So welcome today, Trevor. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm very glad to be here. Um, I think it would be good to start with um, telling our NCDA audience a little bit about the work that you do um, specific to the career area. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so in terms of the work that I do, I work with university students uh, kind of across the board from first year high school to I have a PhD and I don't like my subject, um, you know, trying to figure out job search interview, a lot of career information, trying to help them figure out different types of jobs, all that sort of stuff. Um, outside of that, I have a master's in counseling. I do a private practice that addresses a few different groups. I do a lot of grief and loss. I saw a lot of, uh, as well that, and that can take many forms, certainly more on a, on a palliative side, but it can also take employment transitions. And I know I often sort of describe myself as a life transitions person. So that's another area. And then within the career field that kind of intersects with climate, I work with a lot of people who work in the field of climate, who are experiencing distress in, in a variety of ways and for a variety of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. Then um, that can look a little bit different. Some of them might be activists. Some of them are environmental professionals working in the field. Sometimes they're people who are just concerned about how their career and the way they're living their life or the type of life they're having, how that can relate to the ongoing climate crisis. So maybe if we could start where you started with your university work, um, when did you start to notice that, that, that aspects of climate started to come into the sessions that you have and, and, the, and the work that you do with the students in that environment? It's hard to pinpoint a, a date. I think that, you know, even back when I was a student um, in the late 2000s, it was it was people there were people worried about climate. But I think it's just been ramping up just as the awareness of the ongoing climate crisis has increased. I think that has multiplied out and created a lot more um, distress. It's hard for me to say an exact time, but I but I think that it's sort of an ongoing process that probably was always there. You know, I certainly have friends who are environmentalists since the 70s and the 80s who've been doing work mm -hmm. and, and social workers who've been doing work in that field since then. But I think it's just be steadily um, ramping up, um, certainly since it's become much more in the public consciousness over the last decade or so. Yeah. And I would guess that we have at least some listeners that that were like me when you and I first met that were sort of very green, pun intended, uh, when it comes to sort of the effect of climate in, in career type work. So I, I think I want to dig in first with like a little bit of the language that I've heard you use and maybe what that means. 
like I think you talk about climate stress. Um, I think I've heard you use terms like climate grief. Um, and I've heard you even use longer sort of term things. So if you were to just sort of give us your your short list of the lexicon of of climate work, what are some of the things that we should be knowledgeable about? So as I describe this, I'm going to preface by saying this is sort of an edge of research thing. You know, there's more and more people looking into this now. So I don't want to definitively speak because sometimes these words do get used in different contexts in different ways. The way I sometimes a little break it down, though, is there's there's ecological distress or ecological anxiety, eco-anxiety, sometimes this fear of the future that's to come, the worrying about what the world is going to look like, worrying about what, and more specifically, yeah, what the world will look like, what the environment will look like, and what human, how human beings will be in the future. That's sort of that idea, which people know about anxiety, again, kind of a generalized fear of the future is sort of where that comes from. Uh, Another one is grief. So again, here we're looking at loss. And when we think about the environment, this can take a bunch of different forms. Uh, one of the ones that I always thought was interesting was there's a term called solastalgia that was coined by Tracy Albrecht, which is this idea of a sense of homesickness for a home that's no longer, even when you are at home. So the idea of, say, you grew up near a waterfall, and then due to uh, drought, that waterfall has since dried up. And you're staying at home, but you're used to the sound of a water falling and you just don't hear it anymore. Um, in northern uh, indigenous communities in Canada, we have people who live traditionally on the ice flows or near them and seeing those melting or breaking or being unable to go on the ice that was traditionally there. Again, another example of kind of this, this sense of homesickness, even though you're you're at home geographically, um, can be another form. Uh, people certainly experience trauma and trauma can certainly be in the environmental sense directly of receive, having been in the way of a disaster. Uh, that's probably the most direct one to describe. You know, you survive a tsunami or a forest fire. I know in the U.S., particularly in the, uh, the California region and stuff, there's been tremendous amounts of forest fires, and there's certainly a lot of on disaster trauma from that. Um, but also a sense of loss. It can be lost there and also a fear of what that future can look like. Sometimes those are sort of the broader terms that I sometimes describe it as. There can be a sense of anticipatory grief, people worrying about loss that hasn't happened yet as well. So yeah, those would be sort of some of the, the effects. The other thing I'll emphasize is that it often has a multiplying effect on your other problems that you're facing. So if you have other mental health concerns, personal concerns, these things can you know, aggravate and multiply those types of issues as well. That's that's powerful stuff. Um, uh, all of them really resonate with me. But um, I've been in in correspondence the last three weeks with a career colleague in Pakistan, and even though the news media has forgotten that, you know, a large, large portion of that country is still underwater. Um, you know, I get to check in with her once a week and, you know, it's that, that, that cycle of the trauma making the news, like the devastation in Florida this week, and the fact that that will go away from our consciousness largely, yet it will be a years long process in probably both of those places and so many others. Well, and this highlights also the idea that, uh, the effects of the climate crisis are not equally felt, right? It, it, add, it amplifies uh, inequality. So people at the bottom 
uh, tend to feel the most. And that's not just in all parts of the world. I mean, it's it's both geographically, you know, the 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 people near to the equator and in areas that are much more prone to drought are going to and and also are also unfortunately those that often have least resources to mitigate those changes. But even within uh, you know our 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 nations here. Um, you, you, with the forest fires, I believe there were stories of some of these mansions that, you know, had their own private volunteer fighting or not volunteer, but their own private firefighting force that would keep their houses secure um, while others were burned away and stuff. So sometimes there is this dis- or disproportionate effect between those that are insured and those that do have additional s- safeguards in place yeah. and those that don't. So I would think for many, if not most career professionals, this idea of green careers that's come up is probably a closest or one of the closest connections that we might have to this line of thinking. Um, What what are some other ways that as a career counselor working with high school and college age students that you see issues of climate come into the room uh, for, and I think in that case, it's career counseling with you. Yeah. So when it comes to climate in the the room around career one thing i emphasize is that people can feel a very real sense of hopelessness what does it all matter like why should i even go complete my degree why should i even study what does this matter and i think that if you don't have hope if everything else falls apart and i think that's something that the your career listeners can listen to too if people don't think that their future can be better than their present or at least as good it's very hard to get any sense of movement change and uh, in in the right direction. So one thing that I'm often emphasizing is that we try to help people cultivate a better version of the future than the present. That is always my argument. My argument is not that by taking environmental changes, we're doing some form of you know medieval penance or uh, self-flagellating to, to to atone for the the sins of the, you know, our, our past generations and stuff. The idea here is that by making these, by, by using our career and by extension, you know, our, our time and, and our lives, we can create a world that is, and a life that is better for ourselves than we are right now. And I think that that sense of hope is really, really crucial because again, if people don't have that sense of hope, they're often going to go and try to find something hopeful elsewhere and that cannot and sometimes people who promise easy answers don't always uh, have the best interests of the client at heart so i think that you know that idea of really framing it as you know working towards a greener future is going to be better for you like you're going to be better than your your present is is really critical and then it's a matter of how do we what type how do we build that future and in using the career lens uh to really create a pathway and uh, to through our our work as career counselors, through our work as ability to career plan, to identify ways to make meaningful change in the future, we can we can achieve yeah. that better vision. And one of the things that I think that you do exceptionally well, and I'd love to sort of draw this out of you, is how you connect career broadly across all of the Holland types and all of the fields to to part of that hope to a future that contributes to a better climate, to a better world. Can, it, can, can you talk a little bit about how this applies to all of the major choices or all of the career choices uh, that someone might make? Absolutely. So I'd like to walk 
maybe through a couple of different things that that get to the Holland Code. Because I think one thing that I do really foundationally is getting, figuring, helping people distill down what role they want to have in the climate crisis. I think this idea that a lot of people hold is this this guilt that they somehow are. Um, that they're there they must be the one to to solve this problem and that is group problems require group solutions so one thing i really um and i use these exercises is around uh cultivating and differentiating between passive hope which is things that we hope will change but that we aren't going to be directing our energy towards right now you know or that we acknowledge that we just don't have control over and active hope the things that we really want to direct our energy towards now because if you get into reading about environmental news it's very easy to get overwhelmed by just the sheer number of problems and there is some changes to that there are things like solutions journalism which encourages people to follow a news story for months at a time so that you can begin to see some of the chain positive changes but using these exercises um, to really highlight you know, what are the things they care most about? Is it plastics and straws? Is it forestry? Is it water security? You know, are the, what, what is the issue that they're most interested in? And then figuring out what types of work can they do that can relate to that and where can they find their fit? And this might get to your Holland Code piece. And really the idea that one thing I always stress to people is there isn't like a green job. That's not I think that's a little bit of a myth. I think that there isn't like this group of environmental jobs that are like over here, separate from the rest of the world, um, that, but that many jobs out there can have green aspects or can be through our work as a career theory of job crafting be turned into more green jobs. Um, lawyers, for example, that focus on um, environmental law and sustainability or lawyers that help with climate refugees, helping them uh, immigrate uh, because again, we're going to be seeing more and more of uh, climate refugees. That's a way you can turn a job that like, we wouldn't necessarily say lawyer is like by definition a green job, but that's a way you can turn that into it as from a more enterprising and investigative side of the Holland Code. Um, also, oh, yes. I, I kind of want to make a game of this. Like we could make a new career professional game where it's like, I throw you a career and you, it's, you know, we could play tennis with it. How, you know, communication specialists, how can they help with, the, you know, with environment, with environmental uh, issues? Yeah, I just got a newsletter today, actually, from Climate Base with a list of green jobs created by a, a communication specialist. So, absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Okay, uh, do do me now. I'll probably fail compared to you, but what? Okay, throw, oh, throw oh. a job at me. Let's see if I if okay. I've got what it takes. Uh, architect, <laughs> architect. Oh my goodness. Okay, well, obviously we have. Um, uh, what is it? LED? No, that's a light bulb. But we have the buildings that can be certified as uh, as green, as not um, taking away from the environment. Oh my goodness! I actually used to work for a school of architecture, and all of this is out of my brain right now, Trevor. Um, but yeah, so 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 basically, you know, going the whole way in and only focusing on green building. But even if you work for a, an architecture firm that doesn't do that, maybe implementing green uh, green design and green building just a little bit, right? So sort of incremental improvement within where you currently are at with architecture. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> oh, you're a green you're a green career counselor already. 
Uh, so the uh, yeah yeah and to to build on that too sustainable building practices um there is uh, a really nice little article called who will build the ark uh that's written all about urban and uh, layouts and designs and just, you know gardens in the top of cities and all that area part of the cool thing about career counseling I always think of is that you get to learn about all the different areas of work in the world and thinking about how those things can fit into you know the the larger picture and mm-hmm. absolutely so lawyer architect is is one the big thing i emphasize too and i think this is one worth knowing because i thought this when i went to university was that in order to help the climate you have to know sciences and that's just not true that's just not true i think the last three jobs we just named lawyer architect and uh, communication specialist None of those are are science degrees. And I'm glad we brought those ones up because of course there are like atmospheric physicists and there are marine biologists and there's foresters, but those are not, they play a crucial piece in this work, but they do not, they by them, like this is a group problem and it deserves a group solution. Um, And in fact, as counselors too, like not just in career, but you know, I, I, I was just helping a colleague earlier today with her nature therapy presentation and yeah. using the outdoors as a way to improve mental health. Well, I will say that if you would have gotten tough with me there, um, I was holding rodeo yeah. clown back in reserve to challenge you with. But since since you went easy on me, we won't try to figure out how to make rodeo clown a green career. Ooh. Yeah, I'm, I might have to think about I'm thinking that one like, for a little while. I mean, I'm thinking like really within profession one. advocacy to use more green products to make the noses and the wigs is the only thing I could come up with off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. And and all the animals coming from um, local um, sustain, uh, sustainable There we go. Now um, we're cooking. Well. Now we're cooking. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Animal rights advocacy. Because that's the one thing about this, too, is that if you care about the climate, you have to care about kind of everything, right? Like there's so many other issues that relate to climate that intersect with it, that including, we I mentioned climate refugees earlier. We talked about healthcare, you know, temperatures increasing, disasters, city planning, mm-hmm. communications, you know, like there's, uh, there's lots of these different roles that fit in um, to yeah. to the climate crisis. And on one hand, it can be overwhelming, but on the other hand, it's, I always say you're overwhelmed yeah. with opportunity and it's not a terrible place yeah. to be. So I, I, I want to transition. So we've talked a lot about sort of student age populations, but I know that you've done quite a bit of work, including group work, I believe, um, around climate um, in sort of working adult populations. Uh, could you give us a, an, an overview of that work? I think it's going to be fascinating to the listener. Yeah. So my group work is primarily with clients who work in the environmental field. So think of this as environmental researchers, policy ma- so scientists, policymakers, um, as well as someone who do more than the creative fields, um, those sort of areas to promote and work within the climate space. Because someone who is a, whether it's a geolo- geophysicist or a policy analyst, you know, research coordinator. These are jobs. They're fantastically intelligent people, wondrous, you know, wonderful work they do, but it is, they're very prone to burnout and they don't necessarily get the space to talk about 
um, their problems. I, I recall once actually reading an article, I think it was in Vice in 2019, and it was all about a guy who was a quantitative researcher who studied the odds of civilization collapsing and human extinction. And that's his job, like full-time, just running the numbers all day. And I remember thinking, that was when I first started to think about that group idea was I was thinking, wow, that like, how does this person cultivate or find hope in his day? But also that he, that I'm not sure, do they have a lot of emotional outlets? Do they have a lot of spaces to be able to share with each other, you know, and get that emotional language and see, and really sit with each other and kind of appreciate what their work is doing um, for the world and why it's important they they continue to do that work. Um, because I don't want those people getting burned out. You know, I think it's, it's a real, it would be, it's a, it would be a real um, tragedy yeah, if, if they yeah. did. Yeah. I know one of the things that you talk about, and I really want to make sure that we have time to give it, um, give it some spaces and, and um, sort of this idea of thinking long-term or planning long-term as a mechanism to increase hope. Um, could, could you talk a little bit about that? I'm, I, I was very unfamiliar with it and I'm sure a lot of people are. How does that, and, and also how does that sort of ground the work that you do uh, in the career space? So when I think about long-term planning, I draw from a, a book called The Good Ancestor, which is all about uh, again, this long-term thinking, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. Uh, and what it focuses on is the idea here that people often uh, are good at the short term, the next few days, what to do to get through that. But they often get stuck at what we call the middle term. And what here the middle term is like 30 to 40 years from now. Because even if we did make all the environmental changes that we wanted to, if you hit the brakes, the car is still going to skid. We're still going to be dealing with the knock-on effects of some of the, the, the climate situation for a while. But when we talk about long-term, in this context, we're talking after you die, 150 years out, 200 years out, 250. Um, this is not a uh, context or concept designed by this author, Roman Sarnik. It it's actually goes back to a lot of Indigenous peoples had uh, seventh-generation thinking. So again, thinking long ahead. And it's the idea that it can pull us out of the, the anxiety of the now by thinking farther ahead. So I have exercises where I get people to really visualize their, you know, a child they know holding their great grandchild and looking out the window and saying, what do they hope they see? And really doing that exercise to emphasize the idea that one, it assumes that, you know, the world will still be there, but it really gets them to draw out and kind of envision that future farther away than what they can do. So they take the pressure off from themselves. And the term that's sometimes used is called cathedral thinking. And this goes back to the Middle Ages, where you'd sometimes have masons who'd take work on a cathedral for two generations, three generations, you know, hundreds of years, and to, to build something. And, and we just don't have that now. Very few, uh, you know, I can't remember the last time someone was working on something knowing that they would not live to see it being completed. Uh, but I think that type of thinking can be tremendously empowering because it takes the weight off of having to finish the project. Now it takes that responsibility off, but it's still, while still maintaining the responsibility to start it. And I always emphasize to people, our actions are always and never too late. Uh, which is, you know, a way to kind of encourage people to get started. Yeah, that, that's so powerful to me. I mean, if I if I if I reverse that, right, and I think about a hundred years ago, and how just unfathomable life is today for someone from a hundred years ago, it really helps me think about 
you know, me having anxiety about a prediction of a hundred years in the future seems like a really dumb idea. <laughs> you know, a hundred years ago, you know, we didn't have, you know, um, we just had automobiles, cell phones, computers, the internet, you know, uh, everything that sort of structures my life today uh, is a today thing. And so why would I feel the anxiety about an unknown tomorrow thing that's that distant in the future? That's such a powerful concept. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense too that we we emphasize the present because you know the rustle and the grass running away from the rustle and the grass is what kept us alive, you know stepping out of the way of the bus is what mm. keeps us going day to day. But it but it's important that we take time to sometimes cultivate that longer term thinking in order to you know, see the bigger picture. To use a cliche, right? That and and to think about how our actions can play out in the larger scope of things. And that's often we think about our career. Yeah. We think the career ends in retirement, but I, I sort of package the legacy into that uh, in in my work as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what might that sound like if you were working with one of your scientists or environmentalists? Like what? How would you package that with someone in a session? Well, I'm when I'm, and of course, each of these can go many directions. But one thing to use that long uh, version or long term thinking, I sometimes will tell them some of what we've been talking about, and we get them to kind of envision that future. You know, I, I often will get them to pick a, a young family member they know or someone, a young child they know, and envision them at very old age holding their great grandchild and looking out a window and saying, What do you hope they see? And then going from there and seeing what do they draw, what do they they see, and then th- going reversing from there and being like, okay, if you had to write a letter to that person, saying what you did following the COVID or during, I suppose the the COVID uh, pandemic, what you know, what would you want to write? What would you want to write that you said you tried your best dad to do during during your career, and then really having that message to the future, not your future self, but the future generation. I, I know that knowing you these past few years has really made me want to do better uh, in the, for the future and to do better in this field, in this regard. Um, I know that another contribution you've been working on that I think is public now is um, a green career guide that's through your website. Um, we're definitely going to put that in the show notes, but could you just give us the 30 minute, uh, or sorry, 30 second <laughs> commercial um, for, for your career guide and how that might help some of our listeners? Absolutely. So I created a guide online called An Imperfect Guide to Climate and Career. Just recognizing that I don't have all the answers and then what this world will look like in the future will change. But I wanted to create something that really empowers the individuals because I found I was answering the same questions over and over. So I created a guide that walks people through assessments using, in fact, ONET uh, values, interests, the hauling codes, and really tries to demystify a lot of what I'm doing as a career uh, practitioner. And of course, there is benefit to being to meeting with a career counselor and doing the work and assessments with this, but I'm finding a lot of people don't have access to this. And I think that, so I created this guide that really walks them through the assessments, walks you through research tools, gives you a lot of the websites that I've found across Canada, US, and UK that are for researching occupations, as well as specifically environmentally versions of some of those things and environmental ideas. 
and then talks about some of these things we've been talking around around cultivating hope and those ideas. I'm steadily chipping away at it and adding ideas. But the idea is there, everything I, I encourage people to use and take um, to share. It's it's public access, and I, I don't believe people should have to hide behind a paywall for it. Well, I know I've I've read the entire guide now, and I've I've learned so much from it and so much from you. Um, I hope that this short conversation is the first of many longer conversations within our field about how to sort of embrace climate change and its impact on clients as they work with us to make career decisions. Trevor, thank you so much for your time today, and I can't wait till the next time I get to see you. Thank you, Brian. Have a wonderful one.